Welcome to the podcast series, Withers Talks Cryptocurrency. I am Charles Kolstad, a partner in Withers Global Cryptocurrency Practice Group, and I am delighted to be hosting this podcast series. In these podcasts, I am asking cryptocurrency-related questions to my Withers colleagues in our cryptocurrency group around the world. With me today is Harvey Knight, a partner on our financial services regulatory team in London, and Chris Levine, a partner in our litigation and arbitration team in our New York office, who you may remember from episode two of the podcast series, What is the Future of Crypto Regulation? Before we get started, I want to remind listeners that anything discussed in this podcast is for informational purposes only, and we are not providing any legal investment or other advice. Today's topic is Transatlantic Perspectives on Anti-Money Laundering Enforcement. Let's get started. So Harvey, would you tell us what the current AML regulations and rules look like in the EU and the UK specifically? Thanks, Charles, of course. I mean, the first point I think I should make is that in the UK, we do not actually have a system of crypto regulation. Instead, we have a system of registration. And that registration requirement was introduced at the beginning of 2020 as a result of the fifth money laundering directive, which required crypto, um, crypto asset, crypto asset um, businesses to register for the purposes of anti-money laundering regulations. So in practice, what we have seen since that registration requirement has been introduced is that only four um, crypto, crypto asset businesses have actually been registered by the FCA, and the FCA is the registration authority. And in the meantime, there are some 200 outstanding applications that have yet to be registered by the FCA. And I think what that tells us is that the UK regulator, named the FCA, is taking its time to process these uh, these registration applications and is frankly not in a rush to register and by dint of registration regulate crypto assets. So Chris, what about in the US? How do the rules operate here and compare? Uh, thanks, Charles. In, in terms of um, anti- money laundering laws and regulations. Uh, the U.S. has a, a robust regime, and as we discussed in our previous podcast, um, at the end of 2020, um, in the beginning of, of 2021, the regulatory agency, uh, the U.S. regulatory agency in charge of AML uh, regulation, an agency called FinCEN, uh, consolidated a decade's worth of, of piecemeal for regulatory guidance and the uh, Congress and President Trump passed into law the Anti-Money Laundering Law Act, uh, which is part of a, a bigger defense bill. And uh, there's been just a large focus. It's increased sort of the focus and burden on, on crypto companies here in the U.S. and crypto asset businesses operating here in the U.S. in terms of what they need to collect about uh, information they need to collect about their customers, uh, dollar thresholds, uh, to increase the penalties um, for violations of those uh, regulations, and so on and so forth. Um, the one thing, 
that remains true in the U.S. Um, no matter who is in power, uh, is that both while while the part, political parties in the U.S. don't agree on much these days, they all agree um, that the cryptocurrency um, industry and area uh, needs there there needs to be a focus on. Um, sort of tracking, preventing, and regulating what they see um, rightly or wrongly as um, a potential for criminal abuses in terms of uh, financing terrorism, money laundering, things like that. And across the board, the head of agencies in the U.S. Um, and across the political spectrum in Washington and elsewhere, for the most part, agree on this one issue. Um, and, and so that's the state of affairs on AML in the U.S. Harvey hit on an interesting point, though, whereas Harvey's describing uh, the U.K. and the FCA's focus as more on registration at the time being uh, as opposed to regulatory enforcement actions. I think here in the U.S., two main regulatory enforcement uh, issues have come to the fore late, and all eyes right now are on one of those regulatory enforcement actions, which is the SEC's uh, lawsuit against Ripple and uh, their attempt to categorize Ripple's token XRP as a security. And while while there's been a, a lot of news about this lawsuit, uh, including some uh, seeming missteps by the SEC, they um, were forced to turn over uh, information uh, as to their decision regarding their decision to categorize Bitcoin and Ether as, as non-securities. Um, they were denied the opportunity to um, uh, gain access to the uh, Ripple's executives' bank account records for a long period of time. Uh, XRP shareholders have XRP holders have been allowed to intervene in the case. Um, there's still a lot of lawsuit to play out, and the ultimate question as to whether um, the SEC will prevail and XRP will be considered a security is a main issue for the issue of registration, which Harvey uh, mentioned. And it's really sort of backwards here in the U.S. The regulatory enforcement actions are informing who needs to register. And here in the U.S., a lot of um, crypto uh, asset companies, including exchanges, have not uh, registered with the SEC, for example, as um, uh, nationally registered security exchanges or alternative trading systems because there is so much unknown about whether the assets they are facilitating trading of are considered, in the first instance, to be securities. And so all eyes sort of all over the world, but, but definitely here in the U.S., are on whether the SEC prevails in their regulatory enforcement action of categorizing XRP as a security, because if XRP is considered a security, then it may well be that a lot of other um, tokens or crypto assets that are being traded on some of these uh, exchanges, for example, are also considered securities. Um, one other thing, and this is in your wheelhouse, Charles, uh, on the tax front, um, recently the IRS has gone after um, 
uh, information from various crypto asset companies and exchanges um, to gain information about uh, potential taxpayers who have not paid taxes on their crypto earnings. Um, and in the District of Massachusetts, uh, the, the U.S. District Court in the District of Massachusetts, and again in the Northern District of California, the IRS has successfully petitioned the courts to force crypto asset companies to turn over information about um, individuals and customers that, that uh, for example, trade on their platform that have earned $20,000 or more. Thank you, Chris. I, I think the IRS is very happy with the increased efforts on the anti-money laundering front because it just means that there's more information available at the exchange level for the IRS to subpoena to get records of who is playing in the cryptocurrency space. So it wasn't intended, I don't think, to help the IRS, but it, the, the increase in AML requirements is certainly a boon to the, the IRS. I think um, that's right. What I'm, what I'm hearing, I think, from, from both Harvey and Chris, and I'd be interested in your thoughts, is that the day and age of having no regulation at all in the cryptocurrency space out of countries like the U.S., the U.K., Germany, France, South Korea, Singapore, um, Gibraltar, Malta, Cyprus, that the likelihood of having no regulation at all is seems to be zero. And so the question is going to be for companies, who do you want to, have to regulate you and how do you reach the, decide who you want to regulate you. But, you know, to go up for U.S. exchanges to leave the U.S. and give up the U.S. market seems to be a big giving up. I, I think that's right, Charles. I think, um, well, the U.K. is, or the U.S., excuse me, the U.S. has sort of led the charge, if you will, in the past decade in terms of just the quantity of regulators and the quantity of, of regulations. I think, um, you know, Harvey can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're seeing the rest of the world uh, sort of catch up. And I would say that just to add to this, um, while in some ways this is the antithesis of what these sort of crypto asset and cryptocurrency uh companies, you know, trade in and, and facilitate, at the same time, these regulations really are uh, geared toward and come from uh, a place of legitimate belief that at least some increased regulation and some specifically targeted regulation uh, increases, you know, market efficiency and, and decreases um, as Harvey was telling us before, you know, fraud on the street. Yes, if I may add, I think that's one of the, the iron rules of regulation is that regulation follows the money. So the U UK is a less developed market from a crypto point of view. I think there's less money being dedicated to the crypto sector 
certainly by the man in the street, by the retail customer, um, in comparison to the states. But as night follows day, um, with, the, with the media attention that's been focused on the crypto sector, particularly since the turn of this year, 2021, there has been a greater um, uptake and uh, investment by the man on the street, by the retail customer. And already we are seeing people coming to us saying that I have been in effect defrauded. These people I have trusted my money to have are not all that they seem, and I want to take action against them to get my money back, and I want some enforcement. So there is pressure from the street upwards from the retail customers saying, I've been defrauded. What, what are the authorities going to do about it? So the regulators will find themselves under that pressure and also from government to protect the voter. Conversely, the other pressure is coming from the industry itself, where those players that want to target the man in the street and want to be seen as good companies will want to be regulated or registered. And obviously in the UK, we have some 2,000 businesses, sorry, 200 businesses rather, um, seeking the registration by, by the FCA to that end. So whilst my perspective is that the US is very much in the vanguard and its regulators are very much in the vanguard of thinking and development in, in relation to this new asset, relatively new asset class, the rest of the country, the rest of the world is, on, is, is catching up. And certainly that is what is happening in the UK with a raft of consultation papers, etc. this year in relation to the future regulation of crypto, crypto assets. So, so Harvey, if you were a, a crystal gazer, where do you think the FCA is going to come out over the next 12 months in terms of the registration process? Is it going to continue registering one or two a year or and never get through the 200 backlog? Or is it going to open the spigot and start registering people left, right and center? I think that they will continue to be tentative and possibly they could be accused of dragging their feet. Because certainly one of the, um, the general trends we've seen with the UK regulator has been a, an increase in their, in their risk adverseness, uh, in the sense that anything that, that might lead to potential scandals and blowback on the regulator is now subject to extreme scrutiny, stroke, aversion by the regulator. So in some ways, in countering what I just said about the desire from the street for there to be greater regulation, there is inevitably going to be a degree of pushback by the regulator itself because it doesn't want to give the veneer of respectability to some of these businesses. But I think the momentum, Charles, is inevitable. It's one way over time that we will have this sector regulated, whether it likes it or not, and that will be the future, the future um, direction of travel. But in the UK, I think it's going to be slower um, than the US. Great. Thank you, Harvey and Chris, for the discussion today. Thanks for having me, Charles. Thank you, Charles. And to all our listeners, thanks for joining the latest episode of our Withers Talks Cryptocurrency Podcast. 
As always, if you have any other questions, please feel free to reach out.